Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, help us to behold Jesus by faith, that we may know him and love him and serve him. In the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. My friends, we, I think we know this, but in our troubled world, in our troubled and difficult world, I suspect it's far too often all too easy for us to find ourselves in the place where the disciples found themselves in our story this morning. And what I mean by that is tempted to lock ourselves in a room, tempted to hide in fear, tempted to wish that it would all somehow go away. As we enter the story in Scripture, think of what had just happened. Go back to that place, go back to that point in time. Jesus, their teacher and master, had been crucified on a cross just two days before. His followers had seen him battered, they had seen him beaten, and finally they had seen him dead. He died. And so the Bible says they did lock themselves in a room for fear. They were afraid of the Jews, it says. And wouldn't you do exactly the same thing? After all, as their leader had suffered this awful and gruesome fate, they're asking themselves the questions. What's going to happen to us? Are we next? Might we be killed now as Jesus was just killed? They were, make no mistake about it, in a terrible, awful predicament. One in which it seemed there was no way out, at least not one that could possibly end well for them. Perhaps this past week you saw this image that we posted on social media. A rendering of the disciples locked in a room after the crucifixion. I've never seen it portrayed better than this artist depicts it. Despair, despondency, forlorn, feeling forsaken. I really do think this picture is worth a thousand words. And it's a picture not just of them, but also of us. How many times in our lives have we been shaken to the core? How many times have we experienced a grief that seems inconsolable How often have we been given to wonder what now and what next? And now, let's think about another thing. Consider how the disciples had behaved during the time of Jesus' trial. How they all had abandoned him. How Peter had even denied that he ever knew Jesus. Was not Peter Jesus' closest companion among the apostles? When the guards came to arrest Jesus, it was Peter who drew his sword. It was Peter who struck the servant of the high priest, even cutting off his ear. Yes, it was Peter who had defended Jesus. That is, until he denied him and denied that he ever knew him. Three times, in fact, before three different people, even before a servant girl who was probably only half his age, have we ever done something like that? Have we ever abandoned our principles for the sake of saving ourselves from some hardship? 
Have we ever denied something to someone we love, perhaps in their time of trial? Friends, it doesn't get any more serious than this. Than this. Contemplating the reality of the death we will all one day die, and considering our own moral inconsistencies that we all exhibit from time to time. And when we look at our world today, it's really, really hard, isn't it? We find ourselves, after all, surrounded by a culture of death, abortion, murder, suicide, war, drug abuse, and other atrocities. And we find ourselves surrounded by all kinds of moral inconsistencies in a world where justice appears as fleeting as the wind and righteousness is often as fickle as a teenage crush. It's so easy to see why there's so much fear. And if we Christians struggle in this world, what about those who are living apart from Christ? How do we help others find hope? in a world that seems so hopeless? There's one answer. It's in the resurrection. It is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the game changer in this world. As I said last Sunday, the resurrection is the single most important event in all of human history. The resurrection of Jesus is what gives us hope in a hopeless world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what gives us light and love and life. So let's go back into the room with the disciples for a minute. Where they were feeling like everything they believed was now gone. Like everything they had hoped for was now defeated by death. So I want to show you the next picture. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what happened as Jesus appeared? How he comes to them, how he stands among them, how he shows them his hands and he shows them his side, giving them physical, tangible, empirical proof that he is alive. What do you think that moment must have been like? What words could possibly describe the power of that actual event in human history? And then, of course, there's Thomas. Thomas, who was not with the disciples on that day. Thomas, who understandably wanted to see it for himself. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you if you had been there? So then Jesus comes to Thomas. He makes a personal appearance to Thomas. He does the same thing for him that he had done for them. Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Thomas, put your hand here and place it in my side. Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. My friends, how do we help others find hope in a hopeless world? There is only one way. We must help them to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The very thing that gives us hope in this world is not of this world. It is of God, who came down from his throne in heaven just to give it to us.
And if we will follow the facts, they will indeed lead us to faith. And everything will change. Everything will change, even in the blink of an eye, literally, just like it did for the disciples and just like it did for Thomas. In the blink of an eye, it all changed for them. Let's hear again the words of the Apostle John as he speaks to you and me throughout time and space for 2,000 years. No, this truth has echoed, resounded throughout the world. John writes that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Get this, but these are written. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing what? That by believing you may have life in his name. Do you see the connection? Belief equals life. Belief equals life. Belief, in fact, equals everlasting life in Jesus Now that alone ought to be enough. It should make us want to shout for joy at the top of our lungs. It might even make us want to run around the room in celebration. I won't hold you to it, but I might. But get this, my friends. That's not all that Jesus had in mind. Jesus does not give us this gift simply to serve as a golden ticket for a future glory train. He doesn't want us to keep ourselves locked in our rooms, holding our tickets, and living in fear of this world. You see, in the wake of our Easter celebration last Sunday, God has been pressing on my heart and mind to really think about these things. What is the full effect of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us as Christians, and what can the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for this world? These are the things that I want to preach about during this season of Easter, not not a sermon series per se, but a sermon season, where we can unpack the full effect of the resurrection, because you see, when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we accept the historical fact of his resurrection, and when we place our faith in him as Savior and Lord, there is in fact a whole host of things that comes to us. Believe it or not, there's a whole package of spiritual benefits that we receive by the resurrection, and this morning I'm going to leave us with just one. Peace. Peace. Notice the first thing that Jesus says when he appears to his disciples. Peace. Peace be with you. And he doesn't just say it once, but twice. And then a week later he says it a third time as he appears to Thomas. Peace. Peace be with you. And the point is this, that the first effect of the resurrection, the first effect of believing in Jesus Christ is peace. It's peace. Jesus says, my own peace I leave with you, my own peace I give to you in John 14. Not as the world gives do I give to you, he says. Therefore, you do not have to be afraid or troubled. Consider that. 
when we are filled with the peace of God as the result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what does he specifically say? We don't have to live in fear, and we don't have to be troubled. My friends, you know this already. This world cannot give us what it does not have to offer. This world cannot give us what it does not have to offer. Jesus and only Jesus can give us true peace. And the peace that he gives to us is this. The peace of God that we talk about all the time, the the peace that we exchange in the middle of the service every Sunday morning, the peace of God means that he has reconciled us to himself. Think about the power of that idea. The peace of God means that he has reconciled us to himself. What does it mean to be reconciled to God? It means to be forgiven of our sins, and it means to be freed from the fear of death. So that come what may, in this troubled and transitory life, we need not stay locked in our rooms living in fear, whatever that fear may be. Sound like good news? I hope so. It's the best news going. In fact, it's the opposite. We are called to go out. We're commanded to go out. We are commissioned to go out into the world. We are commissioned to take this gospel of peace into the highways and byways of this world and tell people that the war is over. The first war. The war that people experience in their hearts and minds when they're not at peace. The the war that they experience that's going to be manifest in some way in this world, whether it's anger or depression. We can't hold it inside. That war is going to come out of us. And our job, our privilege, our honor as Christians is to take this gospel of peace into the world. Two things. If you have never known this peace, if you have not yet experienced what it means to be forgiven of your sins, if you don't yet know what it means to be free of the fear of death, then I suggest to you this morning, dear friend, your first order of business is this. Get right with God. Get right with God. Investigate the claims of this Jesus. See who he is and the benefits of believing in him and the power of his resurrection. You see, he has done everything he needs to do to open the door of life, and he is calling you this morning to walk out of those places of fear and into a life of faith. That's the first message. The second is this. If you are among those this morning who have already found that freedom and you know what it means to be truly free in Jesus, to know what it means to live a life of faith in him, then you know exactly what to do. Unlock your door. Open it. 
allow others in that they might look upon him through your life. Invite someone in that when you speak, they might hear Jesus speak. Allow someone to touch his body, even as we ourselves are the body of Christ. Help someone on their journey that they, like Thomas, might cry out in the end, my Lord and my God. That's our privilege as Christians. That's what it means to be a people of peace. And so to God be the glory now and forever.